This is the Brazilian Beat. Join us as we get to know the Brazilian percussion music making community one interview at a time. I'm Diana. And I'm Diana. Just kidding. This is no, Courtney. She, no, she isn't. She's lying. That's fake news. Alternative facts. Okay, okay. You wish you were Diana. <laughs> Welcome, welcome to another giggling episode once again. We're back Yep. with another interview. How are you, Courtney? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, just it's pretty crazy with all these fires going on down in California. It's uh, an area we're familiar with as we go to camp every year. We're in that area and uh, we have a lot of friends in that area. So it's a little... Yeah. Sad. Yeah. Yep. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, I have a friend whose house whose house burnt up. It was a rental, but anyway, you know, she lost all of her stuff. She had just moved there and luckily she was in the Midwest visiting family, so she didn't she wasn't actually there, so anyway. Yeah, it's really tragic. Very much so. So sending good thoughts to everybody out there. Um, what else? What else is going on, Courtney? Oh, we're doing, I'm with Bloco Alegria. We're playing a ton of shows at the uh, Portland Ballet. It's like the opening season of the Portland Ballet. And we've already done two dress rehearsals and two shows, I think. And we have three more coming up Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And one thing that's really cool about, we only play for like, we're supposed to play for two songs, but now we're only playing for like 45 seconds. We bow more than we actually play. But... (laughs) One thing that's cool is we're standing on the edge of the stage and these um, male dancers, I'm not sure what you call a male ballerina, but male dancers, male dancers come out and I, I mean, we're right there and they're probably a foot and a half from me and they do they go jumping through the air and it's just crazy to be that close oh, wow. to them in this big line, like all coordinated together, jumping super high, you know, just, it's really, it's really cool. It's fun. Fun. Yeah. So you get to see the show. Yeah. Yeah. And then we go out front and play. And uh, at the end, and we actually picked up two new players from doing that. Oh, wow. And one of them uh, formerly played with the group that we interviewed with Lauren and Mason at Samba Fogo. So Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So he came in like already knowing how to play, which is kind of cool. So <laughs> we were all super excited. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. N- no, you didn't wear your tutu, did you? I didn't. No, I did not. <laughs> good, did good not. to hear. <laughs> nice. Yeah. But big shout out to Brian Davis for that because he helped us all. Um, he recommended us for that gig, so that's been that's been. And Pink Martini thing. played with that gig. But yeah, those gigs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're they're they're. It's a joint effort with the ballet and Pink Martini. Oh, awesome! And we just kind of slide in there at the end and play for a little bit. Bring some excitement. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. It's fun. So you were just talking about our guests today. Yes. Yes. Lauren and Mason. Lauren Hansen and Mason Ashbacher, and they run Sambafogu in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. A little bit about Lauren. She's a passionate teacher, um, performer, and student of Afro-Brazilian dance and music. Lauren holds a BFA in modern dance and has studied with many great dance and percussion teachers in Brazil and the U.S. 
Lauren works around the clock to ensure that Sambafogu's programming is valuable, high quality, and meaningful. And you will hear all about all she does. She definitely is busy and works around the clock, running a nonprofit and teaching dance and, and drums. She's pretty amazing, amazing woman. Uh, her partner, well, husband, Mason Oshbacher, his jovial, intelligent, and accessible teaching style has inspired and educated countless drum set and percussion students over the past 15 years. Mason holds a master's degree in jazz composition and performance from the University of Utah and currently teaches music theory at Broadview University. Mason also serves as head musician at Utah Valley University's dance department and is the musical director of Sambafogo. He is also a registered yoga teacher, and we added that in there at the end because he taught a yoga class in between the two weeks, the day off at Brazil camp. He taught a yoga class out on the dance deck underneath the Redwoods, and the 10 or so of us that took this class, we were bawling our eyes out (laughs) throughout that class. It was such a powerful healing experience is the only way I can describe it. It was so wonderful and so such a powerful experience for everyone. Even people who were watching the class were crying. I mean, it was really unimpressive. He does a really good job. It's what yoga should be. Like, it's none of the the other stuff that goes along with it. It's just straight up, where are you at? Like, let's, let's take care of you. And anyway, if you're ever in Salt Lake City, take his yoga class. Well, we hope you enjoy this interview. We had fun um, talking to our buddies from Utah. Diana, what's new? How are you doing? Hey, Courtney. Good night. Good evening. Here we are once again. I know. It's weird. It's been a while. It has been a while since we recorded at home like this. So welcome back. Yeah, you too. Well, you know, tonight... I'm missing the first Portland Trailblazers exhibition game, and I'm sure my one of our guests can can empathize um, <laughs> with us tonight. But I'm a big basketball fan, so season has started, and I'm very happy. How about you? You're a big fan, Courtney. I was <laughs> really glad you said basketball because I wasn't sure what that was. <laughs> <laughs> you think I would have figured it out by now? You'll you'll get it. You'll get it one of these days. But uh, speaking of our guests today, we are speaking with some friends of ours, Lauren Hansen and Mason Oshbacher from Salt Lake City, Utah, the directors of Samba Fogel. Welcome. Hi. What's up, you guys? Thanks for coming on. We're glad to have you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's our pleasure. We love the podcast. Oh, yeah. thanks. We're big fans. <laughs> We're big fans of your group. So... Mason and Lauren, once again, are the directors of Samba Fogo, one of the, a great group from Salt Lake City who have been around for how many years, you guys? Well, um, depends on how you count. So we, we sort of were born out of a group that started in 1990 here in Salt Lake. And uh, the name of that group was called Samba Gringa. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a community drum group, um, a professor at the modern dance department at the University of Utah had started it. And, um, his goal was to get dancers to learn how to drum. 
and understand rhythm and possibly be able to accompany their own dance classes. And so that's how it kind of started. And Mason and I were uh, in the group. And then eventually um, that guy, his name was John Scoville, Scoville, uh, was he, he uh, wanted to retire and basically asked Mason and I to take over the group. As part of the class for the university or to like move it out of the university? Um, uh, both uh-huh. eventually. Um, the, for, for a brief period, they offered a, a drum class through the dance department, <clears throat> which was a little weird. Um, <laughs> it was, but it was all right. And uh, it was cool, but eventually we were a large enough entity that the dance department wanted us to, to mm. move off campus, which mm-hmm. was understandable. Um, and we rebranded for obvious reasons. I mean, the name was cute, but if you want to be taken seriously at all, it's kind of kind of no good. Yeah, we you know we started studying really hard, so we we wanted to not have like a joke name. Right, right, <laughs> sure. Yeah. And even though the group was made up of dancers, ironically, there was no dance contingent at all. No until... samba dance. Oh. They were all modern, mm. yeah, modern dancers and ballet dancers. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we added dancers, we changed the name. All of that happened in about 2003 Yeah, I'll go with that. Somewhere in that neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. So that's... Could have been four. I'm sorry, that's when you took it over was 2003? Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. pretty much. Um, so, yeah, it's been uh, quite a exciting journey long road since then i feel like we've like been doing this a long time (laughs) Mm -hmm. this was our 16th and 17th brazil camp this year that we just got done with so yeah kind of yeah we're kind of into it yeah a little yeah (laughs) by the way go go blazers yeah go blaze go jazz they won last night didn't they we well we played the sydney kings yeah we killed oh that's right it was sydney that's right watch the highlights though Rudy got like 11 dunks it was great oh my goodness yeah anyway enough about that (laughs) we'll talk about that later (laughs) so we jumped ahead of ourselves a little bit i want to go back and figure out like um a little bit of your history like where tell us about where you grew up and um your first exposure to music in general and okay so lauren's pointing at me so i guess i'll go first okay um so I actually grew up in the house that we're talking to you from right now. Wow. Hmm. Um, in total, I've lived three places in my life. Like, total. <laughs> so I lived in this house, and then uh, with my mom when my folks split up, and then moved out of her basement when Lauren and I got a pad, and then my dad was getting rid of the house, so we moved back to the to the house. Um, so that, that gives you an idea of how sort of rooted in this place mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always loved music, you know, I would, I would throw papers and listen to cassette tapes as loud as I could. Um, and eventually when I was in junior high school, my brother got into a band, so he was playing bass with some people and, uh, the drummer, a friend of his, who was a drummer, uh, upgraded his set. So I bought his old set for like a hundred bucks. It was terrible. It was made of pressed paper. <laughs> it had, uh, I used these symbols that were halfway cracked and I, uh-huh. I finished them off. No problem. Um, so I just loved music and really got into it. And in high school, I had a really great music teacher uh, who's recently passed on. His name was Ken Green. Um, and it was a weird high school program because we had an orchestra, but it was really bad. But we had a vocal contingent that was really good. So there were all these instances where you would need bass, drums, piano, guitar to, to accompany these vocal groups for magical performances and musicals. And there, there were like seven of these a year. 
So that week, it was like boot camp for a real show. And Ken was the piano player, and uh, he used to run a group called the Airmen of Note, which is the Air Force band, and he's really great. Um, so anyway, I got a, an incredible training from him, and he connected me with a guy named Jay Lawrence, who's a, a teacher in town who was very uh, very kind to, to put up with me <laughs> through, through my youth. Um, and then I went to college and decided I don't want to be a musician. I want to like kind of figure things out. That's not a real job. So my freshman year, I just kind of did stuff. And I ended up, uh, by the end of the year, accompanying classes for the modern dance department, playing in the musical there, which was cabaret. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then joining, uh, strangely, in a, in a yoga class, I ran into a piano player friend of mine. And he said, hey, dude, what are you doing right now? And I said, nothing, Dave. What are you doing? And he said, well, I'm going to this class. It's improv theory. So we just hang out and read tunes, but we have no drummer, so it absolutely sucks. So would you please come? And I said, sure. Uh, so I went over there, and um, it was too late to enroll or anything, but the teacher was Henry Wolking, who was a great friend of mine uh, and mentor now. Um, and he'd had, my eye, he'd had his eye on me for a while, just coming up in the city playing jazz stuff. Um, so he said, yeah, come in and hang out and do this. So then the guitar ensemble, who also had no drummer, which totally sucks, found out that uh, I was available. So at the end of that year, I looked around and said, hmm. Seems like everything I'm doing is music. I'll probably do this for real, so I'll give it a go. So then I enrolled in all the music classes, and that was you know very arduous because musicianship and ear training and piano and sight singing mm -hmm. very difficult if you're a you know a half literate drummer. So I mean I could read bass clef okay because I played timpani in the orchestra, but it was a struggle. I mean I really fought to get through those classes, um, but ultimately it was very much worth it and. Uh, I wouldn't have the composing and arranging skills that I have now if I didn't do that. So then four years later, I went back to the same school uh, to study with Henry Wolking to study composition specifically um, and did a master's degree. And that was a wonderful experience. And I'm eternally grateful to him. And uh, if he hears this, when I'm out your way, Henry, we're going to go hiking. I'm coming to see you, buddy. <laughs> so uh, that's my story. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to Lauren for her story. Uh, so, yeah, speaking of Rooted, um... So Mason and I actually met in elementary school, and we were attending this kind of, uh, it was a public school, but it was kind of a hippie school, <laughs> and it was called the Open Classroom, and um, parents would come in and co-op, so everybody's parent had to spend one half, half day a week um, and bring in an activity and oh, kind of help, yeah. help teach, so... It's kind of a unique community in that you're getting to know your classmates' parents at the right. same time. Um, so, yeah, I was one grade ahead of him, and we just basically, like, met, you know, when he was in first grade and I was in second grade. Wow. And, um, <laughs> just went up through school together, and um, I have old laminated love notes from him. Oh, my God. <laughs> And then uh, we dated a little bit in junior <laughs> high and high school, um, and then we we like got back together right before college. Um, Mason had started going to the University of Utah, and <clears throat> I was just like messing around, just not doing anything. Um, I had grown up in gymnastics, in competitive gymnastics, mm. um, but I hit fourteen and just just kind of wanted to 
not be disciplined and not study and not do anything <laughs> and like started smoking cigarettes and just, you know, had my little rebellious stage. Um, and that lasted a good while uh, <laughs> until, <laughs> until basically I got back together with Mason and he helped turn my perspective back toward college and back toward dancing. Um, he encouraged me to quit smoking. <laughs> and it, I mean, it was an interesting thing because for me, my smoking was totally tied to uh, the possibility that I might dance. You know, I, I had just kind of given up on that possibility mm. and, um, mm -hmm. because I couldn't breathe. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, I really never th even thought about college. I really wasn't focused toward it, but uh, Mason really encouraged me to enter the modern dance department where he was working as an accompanist. And, um, yeah, every a lot of things changed for me at that point. Um, it was very challenging, rigorous curriculum. Uh, I was dancing, you know, four to five hours a day for four years straight. Um, wow. And mostly like ballet, modern, a little bit of jazz training, but no African, no Brazilian, no, mm -hmm. nothing, nothing interesting. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, I got my bachelor's degree in modern dance and then kind of just like ran straight away from modern dance and into Brazil's arms, loving arms. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was, you know, it was pivotal for me because uh, I was spending a lot of time comparing myself and my abilities and my body to others mm -hmm. who had been dancing their whole lives and spending a ton of time staring in the mirror with with other people and just all of this like you know comparing 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 mm. and uh i so uh relished the fact that in you know in brazilian dance you get to have your own style and it's not about making necessarily a certain shape or choreography it's more about expression and freedom and you know it's such an open-hearted culture and um, and thing to engage in that, you know, coming from the modern dance background and then also we want to talk to you guys a little bit about Utah culture and, and what a weird place Definitely. we live in. <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think we, we both just really fell in love with the open heartedness, the intensity. Um, the sort of instinctual nature of, of Brazilian dance and drumming. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and really it was the drumming first. Sorry yeah, to interrupt. Yeah, it's true. And, I, and again, Jay Lawrence, who I mentioned, one of the prongs of his teaching system, one of the points that he made is that you have to study world music in quotation marks. Um, and because of that, it was ingrained in me to go for that anytime there was an opportunity, which is why I joined the you know, white girl samba group in the modern dance department, <laughs> um, which eventually evolved into this. Sorry to cut in there. Yeah, no, it's true. So we, uh, Mason and I were drumming together in the group, um, and we heard about this awesome camp <laughs> where <laughs> you get to run around the forest and play drums. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Mason went first and tested it out and just came back totally wide-eyed and convinced was, us all to go. It's pretty okay. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Were you the only one from Utah that went? No, there were five of us that year. 
Oh. Um, but it was interesting because it was me and then a guy who was like 24 who was the Wayne Burdick who is a character who might come up later but he was the leader of the group at the time and uh, then these three other dudes that were like you know 40 and uh, it, it was really great to like connect with them and meet with them and they be- became dear friends one of them Kyle is back in the band and uh, another one of them Pierre Pierre Dufresne uh, was my Bata teacher and actually uh, mm. uh, he he He's moved to New York now, but when he lived here and towards the end of the time that he lived here, we would play just every other day. So one week we'd go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and then the next week we'd go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And just every other day we'd play Bata, and that's how I got to be sort of okay at that. Um, I'm not good or anything, but um, anyway, so it was really a transformative experience to go to camp, and it was different than the the show went all night. Uh, So it ended at like... 2 30 the, the batteria sounded terrible because we were all tossed and uh <laughs> i i just they put on our shame music and people danced and i like hung out with shushin and talked with him for a while and then eventually everyone was going to bed so i just went and i laid down on the bridge and looked up as the as it started to get light um and just you know i never want to leave that place that's my fourth home like if you add it up <laughs> if you add up the number of weeks that i had there it's like more fourth than home. half a year so Besides right. the other three places I've lived, you know, 10, 10, 19 and 20, that's where you'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's where I first uh, experienced Brazilian dance at all. Um, so that was your very first dance class? Uh, no, it was Well, my... I mean Brazilian dance yep. class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, um, I believe I met Rosangela that year. And mm. that is always a transformative experience. So. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and now it's now, <laughs> 17 years later, somehow. <laughs> and I just like, sometimes I feel like I just uh, rolled down a hill, like gravity just, uh, <laughs> just pulled me here, you know, mm. like, like I didn't really have a choice or a plan. Um, it's one of those things that's like, it's like, it's directing you sort of. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's been a really good thing for our community in Salt Lake City. Um, I feel like we have a really good, uh, really, I mean, we, we do. We have an amazing group of drummers, an amazing group of dancers, and, but more than that, like a, an awesome support system yeah. and social network and, um, you know, a true community, which is just really cool to see after all these years. So That's great. Yeah. Lauren, I want to ask you, I've never heard anyone talk about um the differences between like modern dance and ballet and things like that as um comparing (laughs) i mean i mean you can tell the difference between sometimes if someone's been trained and that has that background but the fact you said the word comparing that's really interesting because you're always looking in a mirror and yes and the difference between that yeah that's really interesting it's i could talk to you about that for five hours (laughs) dancers are fiercely competitive it's, uh, yeah, I mean... It's the greatest strength and weakness of the dancer character is that they want it so bad that they kind of can turn dark towards each other. And and then it's it's rough when... You're and maybe the themselves, room. too, you know? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, very much. I think that's a prerequisite for, yeah. the, for the thing. Um, yeah, I mean, for, for starters, um, the school I came from 
downstairs in the ballet department, there's weight requirements and mm -hmm. you, there's, oh, wow. there's what they call fat class. And if you get over a yes. certain weight, you have to go like take, you know, your cardio class and mm -hmm. it's, um, like a class. it's, it's sort of in the culture to, you know, aspire to this like super thin, super basically unhealthy body type. And mm -hmm. that's, it, it, they've tried to move away from that in modern dance, but um, it's still very much there. And then the other thing is that it's just terribly shape oriented, you know? Everybody's supposed to look the same in a lot of the choreography. <clears throat> um, you know, the, the level of, of the arm, of the elbow, it's all very, um, it can get very precise and shape oriented. And then I just found it so freeing that like, um, that doesn't get talked about at all sometimes. Like, I, I don't really, peop, my teachers now don't really care if I'm um, looking exactly like my neighbor or not, mm -hmm. you know. It's not about that. It's more about um, energy. Yeah, and, emotion, yeah. feelings. And, and by being hung up on these specific aesthetics, it actually limits where you can go with the art form. But, oh, definitely. You know, definitely. And you're all wrapped up in time. your head and you, um, you know, you yeah. can't necessarily dance freely, you know, or yeah. like really express yourself because you're bound up emotionally. Yeah. I would think. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Projecting, <and> then, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Um, and I've known a lot of people who joined professional modern companies and uh, quit you know, a few months later because it was uh, really hard on them. And it's it's not this community thing where you're getting to go dance with your friends. It's uh, something else. So yeah. uh, we, I've always really stressed as a director, um, we perform for us. And if we're having fun, then the audience will have fun. And that carries over into backstage culture. And if we get off stage and we hate each other, then that's going to be palpable on stage. You know, yeah. it's going to be visible to our audiences and yeah. the community will feel it. Feel it. And um, yeah, so I think that we project a lot of love on stage because we have so much love in our group. It's, it's really great. Do you feel that bubbling up sometimes among, you know, the community a little bit? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while, there's a bad egg or two and a bad idea or two or a misperception about how the organization is run. And I guess that's a good jumping off point to talk about like how the organization is run. Uh, so the organization is, um, is a community. It or originated as a community group, but now it has evolved into a nonprofit that performs for, you know, thousands and thousands of people a year and does work that is pretty high quality, especially our proscenium shows where we have control of all of the elements of lighting and sound and extra instruments and days and days of, of you know, tech and dress rehearsal and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's, that's really cool. But the way that it works is the organization is based on sort of energy exchange. So once you get to a point where you're in the group, uh, you're, you're expected to come and do certain things and to rehearse and to be accountable to everybody else. Um, but there, it's not like it, you know, there's so many of us that it's not like this is going to support prof professional musicians. So if it isn't really, really fun to do, then it's not worth doing. And that, that's where we're coming from. 
and by coming from that place it's easy to have people that are invested and love the music and love you and love each other and understand what this is providing to them and every once in a while someone shows up and they're like well you know i just feel like i'm not getting anything out of this and i say well okay good then don't come because no one wants your crappy attitude around here <laughs> and uh and it, it's a cycle i mean you know, when the band started, it was Wayne and like his brother and this other guy that played Surdu. And when I was there to play Kaisha, it was like, oh man, let's run this all year round, not just the one semester that the dancers have to come and play with us, you know, because the percussion class was offered every other semester. Um, so then the group starts running year round and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then eventually Wayne moves away and I take over his role. And my buddy Aaron comes in and plays Kaisha. And the band functions like that. And people cycle in and out. But as long as you have these pillars, it works and it only works it, it the currency is love and uh, success and shared triumph so that's that's our model and we're lucky that it works mm -hmm. um so do you have auditions for your dancers and your musicians or do you just like you said fill in the the spots um as they come we audition these days um mm -hmm. it's kind of on a case-by-case -case basis but yeah, we have one big dance audition a year, and um, we have, right now we have 15 dancers, so we're kind of big. Wow. That's Whoa. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's the biggest we've ever been. Um, and then we call them drum auditions, but in, I mean, in reality, they're really just, we're trying to recruit people, you know? Yeah. So we'll mm -hmm. do a four-week drum workshop followed directly by a drum audition so that we're taking people through a little bit of training to prepare them for the audition. Um, so they pay for the drum workshop. Then if they pass the audition, the group is totally free. Yeah, participation mm -hmm. is free. But there are expected attendance requirements so that we can continue to progress together as a group. Mm. So people that are, are shoddy about coming are holding us back. And the dancers... Is that once a year? Can I ask you a quick question? Is that yeah. once a year you do the um, workshop? Um, we no. do about four a year. Yeah. We try to do them every quarter. Yeah, we're always trying to assimilate drummers at whatever point they're ready to, to be immersed mm -hmm. into, into the group. If, um, like, if someone were to move to town that had played in another band, they would call me up and I would say, okay, well, come to dance class and we'll you know, accompany a dance class and let's see how you play and see how you fit in with everybody. And if they were great and played great, it would be like, okay, well, come Sunday and we'll see how you fit in on Sunday. And then at the end of Sunday rehearsal, if they were, you know, good, we'd say, okay, well, so that was your audition and you're, you're expected to be here so that you can help us and help us move forward. Or sometimes, like this happened this summer, we found oh, ourselves at... To preface this story, Mason has a pretty high tolerance for risk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we were invited to headline the Utah Arts Fest this year, which is kind of a big deal. We've been... <laughs> we're kind of a big deal. No, <laughs> I don't mean it that way. It's, it's a really <laughs> big show. We've been, we're, we've been performing at that festival, though, for, you know, 15 years or something. And... Um, no never invited to headline so we got a friday night spot it was one of the biggest audiences we'd ever had and all of our kaisha players just had like disappeared yeah, recently oh, no. it was down to um, one and a half like semi-novice kaisha players and i knew it and i had we, called people and i knew i was screwed so 
Yeah, we do a big spring show every year. We got out of the spring show and some of the people kind of trickled away, you know. So we're, we find ourselves like we're going into this big show. We don't really have any capable Kaisha players on stage. And this guy wanders over and he's like, hey, I'm from San Francisco and I kind of play samba and How's I, know, it going? I know this guy in town that told me to find you, and I know this guy that told me to talk to you. And he was you. just like saying hi, but we were like, um, do you know this pattern? <laughs> do you know that pattern? And, Here's and, a shirt. And by Get we, on stage. By, by we, Lauren means me. I did all of this, and then I brought him back to the room where we were going to like sing through the complicated breaks, and Lauren was like, who the f- is this guy? What? Who is this guy? Why is he wearing yeah. a shirt? Why is he backstage in a band shirt? Um, but now he's he's... So his name's Noah, and he turned out to be a really great addition to the group and is a really sweet guy. And uh, we just got back from San Francisco where we went to see Ween, which was awesome. And uh, he had just moved from there, so he uh, totally helped us out with like restaurants to eat at and everything. So nice. high tolerance for risk can pay off. <laughs> yeah. And he sounded good at the show. Right. Yeah, so good. it's kind of case by case because, you know, sometimes you get into sure. a pickle. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, the, the system is that the dancers are on a one-year contract that basically um, has them committing to about five hours a week, roughly, um, between rehearsals and, and a few like gigs here and there. And then the drummers, we just um, instilled a new contract system. So they're on six-month contracts, but it's uh, we're only a year and a half into that system. So... Uh, we're we're just trying to create a lot of accountability in the group um, because we've, you know, of course people uh, f- come in and out, they fluctuate, and if you don't have them sign a piece of paper that says, you know, what I'm going to be here for the next six months, so that you know, I can know who is going to be in the band when I'm booking those gigs six months from now. That, yeah, that's interesting. That really so how? Helps. <laughs> so they're they're so the drummers are also committed to a certain amount of hours, and then if a gig comes up, are they required to be there, or how does that? Uh-huh. I mean, barring disaster, it, and it depends on the sure. size of the gig, and is it at eleven a.m. on a Monday? It the goal is fifty yeah, percent yeah. of the gigs. The goal is fifty percent of the gigs, gotcha. and then basically, essentially, it's about fifty percent of all the rehearsals. So it's pretty mm-hmm. lenient. It's mm-hmm. just. Um, something where we can come back and say like you know you're slacking right. <laughs> and right. then we take attendance now we didn't used to take attendance but we've been really tracking attendance and then posting it publicly mm-hmm. and uh, now we make people pay for a private lesson if their attendance kind of dips below a certain mm, that's interesting level because yeah, what a terrible punishment yeah <laughs> another day in the acid mines yeah. <laughs> So with your with your members, do you th- do you find that like since it is a u- university town, that do you have a lot of students, or is it more community based? Um, when we were at the university, we had a lot of university students, yeah. and the people that gravitated toward our band were often students that were at the university from out of state because Utah is mm. a pretty. I mean it. It's really nice, so please don't move here. I mean, you guys are cool, but everyone else, stay away. Um, because it's it's so close to nature, and everyone's really nice. 
and uh, the Mormons are really, really conservative and like really sweet people at heart, uh, but they're very insular. And if you're not one of them, they don't want uh, to socialize with you too much. So the kids that would come here from out of state would gravitate to the band because it was like, hey, you're cool and you guys swear sometimes and that guy has a ponytail. Like, can we talk to you? Right. Uh, so it's great. They'd come by when they're like sophomores and by the time they were seniors and a pretty good Surdu player, they'd move back to New York or back to Dallas or back to LA. Yeah. Um, so that model, which we've operated on for a long time, was really difficult because as soon as the band started to sound okay, you would be in a rebuilding season again. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's really difficult. And as much as the, I mean, it. sometimes Lord and I recite that scene in Ghostbusters where we talk about how we were destined to get kicked out of this dump. And Dan Aykroyd says, personally, I like the university. They gave us money and resources. And Bloomberg says, no, I call it fate. Call it luck. Call it karma. Because as much as the university provided stuff to us, it shaped our model in a certain way that wasn't in our control. Yeah. And to be doing something this hard and dedicating your life. I mean, this is Lauren's full-time job. I do a couple of other things that are music-related to help you know keep us afloat. But like... If you're going to do that, you better have creative control and it better be something good so that everyone involved can feel really good about being involved and can be invested and want to play with you. And that's what, you know, that's what we're trying to do. So I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. And do you have somebody that do you have an admin person or do you have do you guys do all the admin work yourselves? Um, yeah, essentially one. and historically I'm the admin. Um, I, I have a 20 hour a week assistant. I try to keep an admin assistant around these days to help me, but we're also a nonprofit. So I do a lot of grant writing mm -hmm. and then, you know, then that always comes with strings and reports and all of the tracking mm -hmm. that goes along with that. Um, I finally just got away from bookkeeping. Uh, one of my board members uh, just got her CPA and offered to take that over for me. But awesome. <laughs> uh, that was just like wow. two, two months ago. So I'm just rejoicing. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. So um, historically, it's kind of one of those that like, I've been wearing way too many hats for way too many years. And if we're gonna keep growing and, and sustain ourselves, then we have to uh, diversify a bit so <laughs> yeah but it's it good I have difference. a good board I have a board of seven people and um, some of them are people in the group and some of them are not and uh, it's just yeah I, I do have a lot of people who are energetically like supporting us um, partly because we are literally some of the only uh, stuff in town that is like I, th I feel like in Utah, we tend to hold down like the wild side, uh, you know, <laughs> it, there is very little wildness and uh, loud music and um, especially in a joyful sense. I yeah. think that it's a really, really unique thing in our community. So when people find us and we impact their lives, they um, they tend to really like latch on and, and mm. want to give back to us because they, you know, people say stuff to us like, I would not live here if, it, if you guys weren't here, you know? So right. it's, 
kind people of in the group place. mostly say that to us mm -hmm. um, but but it's weird when i meet someone or i have known someone for a while and they're like oh yeah i've been coming to see you for six years and like the last one was really good the one before that was kind of weird you know so it's it's really cool to see uh that our music is having an impact on people and then we do a ton yeah. of stuff in schools which is uh really neat so maybe i could um just kind of tell you about our programming a little bit yeah, yeah for sure what we do in the community um okay so we run the what we call the community group which is um the drummers and dancers and then we once or twice a year we rent out a big fancy theater and we pair the drumline and dance company with um, things like a string quintet or horn line, or hmm. our last show had an opera singer in it. Um, we flew out Mark Lampson and Rosangela, and uh, we basically paired like K2 and Bata with opera. <laughs> wow. Which was really interesting. And oh. arrangements, you know, sym symphony instrument arrangements of Brazilian things, and then other original compositions by me and uh, my songwriting partner, George Brown, who we've got to talk about at some point, but we'll get to him later. It's like where it's the sh one show a year that we really get to like stretch our limbs. Um, and yeah, have basically an entire orchestra for Mason and George to compose on. So we premiere original works um and that and then that's paired with the dance choreography so it's an evening length show it's usually about 90 minutes and it's um just full of of dance and live music and it's just our more creative side um wow yeah and then we also of course throw fire into the mix so um a little bit of fire spinning and and fire dance with the samba and afro-brazilian dance which I just always thought, you know, just goes well together. So <laughs> and the nature of performing Brazilian music, a lot of times the performance situation is really chaotic. It's a parade or outside right. or for some event planner mm -hmm. that has no idea what to do with you. Or you're on so, grass or you're on concrete or, or the dancers you don't are know where you're going to be. Rain and the dancers are going to fall down and kill themselves. <laughs> it, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that can really... Um, decrease the emotional impact of what you're trying to do so to be able to say sit here look this way when the curtain opens and the lights come up pay attention to the things that i'm drawing your attention to hear the sounds that i'm featuring the sound guy is really good the light guy is really good the stage is flat the dancers have timed their costume change and are going to make it on time like all that stuff that you just can't really control if you you know you get to the venue and you're like hmm, well <laughs> so much for the set list we came here with yeah uh, interesting. so it, that's the you know if you wanted to come see us i would say come and see those shows because that's yeah. that's when it's really good and really um it's us at our best and there are a few clips on youtube that you could you know feature some sound you could use from those if you want i could send you some um and yeah, we've been awesome. doing those shows since uh 2010 um and before that we just did you know community appearances and it was very chaotic and we we didn't ever uh, know where we were going to be or you know you show up in high heels in wet grass and yeah. <laughs> like danger <laughs> so um, yeah it's a nice uh, way to yeah um, have the community see us at our best and then we we hope to you know create more more work from that and um, get hired for local events and festivals so mm -hmm. that's kind of the strategy on that one 
Then uh, we've been running a kids' summer camp for seven years. Um, it's just a little part of our programming, but I really like doing it. Um, it's a one-week camp that's in two sessions, so it goes from age five to to eight the first week, and then nine to twelve the second week. Wow. And uh, cool. yeah, it's really fun. Um, and other major annual events include, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Samba Queen competition. Um, we typically play at the New Year's Eve thing, which is great, except it's outside at five degrees. Um, the dancers love that game. Uh, well, but the fire keeps them warm, so that's cool. Um, so we do those things. And then in addition to the kids camp in the summertime, we do a bunch of outreach in elementary school, junior high and high schools. Just today we were at Cottonwood High School up the road uh, doing a, a drum and dance clinic. Yeah, we teach a lot of kids. Um, mostly elementary age kids and we do a lot of like little six-week residencies at a school and then at the end of the six weeks there's a culminating performance for for the rest of the school or for the community or whatever. Um, Does it I've got a question about that. Does the school programs, you guys ever run into, since you're like the ambassadors of the wild side in your right? community, do, do, <laughs> yeah. do you ever get problems from parents who are um, not wanting this, you we know, get, their kids? We get people uh, who are looking at booking us and they'll go to our website and see a bunch of gals in bikinis and I'll get a panicked phone call. <laughs> like, you're not going to bring a bunch of bikini <laughs> girls to my school, are you? Like, <laughs> and um, I just have had to, um, no, we get, you know, we get really used to our dancers have to perform in really modest costumes sometimes as well. Uh, so we, we just try to, you know, communicate the fact that we we're capable of walking both sides of that line. Um, it's actually, I think one of our strong suits is like, we can go from a, like a dirty bar <laughs> show <laughs> where it's totally wild and kind of naked. And then into the next morning, into uh, a school, but we dress modestly and... Um, the culture here is so conservative. We get a lot of practice being yeah. you know, sensitive to context and yeah. understanding ahead of time what we need to bring. Right. And sometimes you'll you'll get a call for like a convention or a wedding or something and you're like, so you want like dresses, right? And they're like, no, 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 bikinis, bikinis. And you're like, <laughs> okay, okay, we'll do what you tell us to. We're just like, are there gonna be a bunch of kids there? But we've, I mean, one weird gig was uh, we got asked to wear full, <laughs> full-on body stockings. Like, I didn't even know these things existed. It's That's like not a, a whole. Yeah, what do you body. mean? What? It's like nylons for your whole body. Like long skin sleeve, tight, yeah. Long huh. sleeve, almost like turtleneck. So they requested <laughs> that we wear those under the bikinis. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> I thought you meant. I thought suit. you meant they just wanted you to wear that part. Just that. No. <laughs> no, no. That's so weird. I thought yeah it was it was the weirdest like it's the dancing. skin that's the problem not the yes. shape or yeah. something yeah weird yeah I thought you were going to talk about that wedding where one of the grooms 
one of the people in the groom's family hired us and the bride it was like at this beautiful botanical garden it was so nice and the dancers came out and the bride was not happy at all because oh, so the bride pissed. didn't know it was like a surprise oh. for the bride and she was pissed these strippers <laughs> <laughs> so that was funny yeah but and it's interesting because we have an annual utah brazilian festival here and um well, so the thing about Utah Brazilian culture uh, that we should point out is that it, it, it's predominantly LDS Brazilian culture. Mm -hmm. So because the Mormon church does a lot of missions in Brazil. Right. And so right. a lot of the Brazilians who end up in Utah specifically, they come here to join the church or to be with the church. So mm -hmm. or um, marry missionaries. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So well, it's it's interesting because uh, the. That crowd, historically, every year has been some of our toughest complainers about the bikinis and, and the skin oh, wow. showing. And, uh, and everything else. And, well, it's just interesting because, uh, you know, we do so, so many events and then it's uh, our, our Brazilian community who is kind of like up in arms and adamantly wanting us to kind of cover ourselves. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I don't know. It's a little bit of a cultural uh, battle <laughs> going down here in Utah because... Um, well, the, the Mormon culture is really dominant. I mean, it would be like, uh, you know, parts of the South or even... I mean, it's not, it's not like the Middle East, but it's not, not like that. Well, ways. there are county like the next county over from us is ninety eight percent Mormon. I don't know so enough. It's very, very, very predominant. So, so um, going back when you first started the group, did you have any? You know, were the dancers a little bit wary of of wearing bikinis and such? Um, I actually think it was the opposite. Like oh. this is the the magic yeah. that right mm -hmm. because like when people see samba here, they're like what like this <laughs> what is this what i didn't know this kind of thing existed and they they rip their clothes off and wear bikinis <laughs> you know like hooray footloose yeah exactly samba footloose and even though uh so the counterculture is very powerful and united in salt lake because there is a dominant culture but the people the mormon uh when we do end up in a situation where there are a bunch of mormon families all of the Mormon men are like, wow, that's fun to see. And all of the Mormon <laughs> wives are like, whoa, she's so pretty. I wish I was like that. And uh, the kids are like, whoa, princesses. So I, I think that even though it's something that, um, you know, sex and sexuality is such a taboo subject for, for Mormon culture, it's still a part of human nature. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that uh, they love it. When we do end up in situations where we are maybe pushing it, the people that are there are either secretly satisfied and outwardly upset or secretly satisfied and outwardly happy. So, um, but I do think that um, those costumes celebrate and empower women and the female form and the beauty of, of humanity. And I don't think that they uh, objectify or degrade people as, as some might. Yeah, and we, we talk a lot about um, how the body's not shameful and what we're doing is celebrating ourselves and our bodies and our community and, and this wonderful dance form, you know, like we, we try to have a lot of group conversations about the culture that is within our group and, um, 
I think that I was really purposeful in the beginning to let people know that it's not just about wearing a bikini. It's not about the bikini. It's not about the like sparkles. It's actually more about uh, finding love for yourself and appreciating and celebrating yourself, you know? So I think when you pose it that way to people, mm -hmm. they're a little less um, afraid of it and more hooray. <laughs> Let's and do, this. The, do you have that conversation within your group and also when like it's yeah. part of the dialogue of your performance too? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. When, I, when I'm dealing with a client that, that they're like, well, you know, we want the carnival look, but is, are they going to be naked? They like, don't quite know what they want. Then I can kind of express it that way and, and yeah. have them think about it a little differently. So, hmm. and yeah. on the, and on the other spectrum, what about Orisha stuff? I mean, do you have people that kind of question that in, in yeah. religious stuff? I was actually, that's the, what I was going to talk about is, um, yeah, I, I think that people definitely also embrace it. Um, we've had a lot of, of good, uh, we've had peop a lot of people receive it well, but at this uh, Brazilian festival that I was talking about earlier, um, we asked them two years ago, we have a friend who lives here um, who uh, practices Ifa mm -hmm. and um, is a priest and wanted to parade with an Oshun character and we asked permission for him to be you know basically in his um, garb or costume whatever you want to call it outfit and and have an Orisha by his side and we were <laughs> denied they asked us please oh she said oh please lauren don't do that to me because the organizer of this parade and festival <clears throat> she gets a lot of pressure from her lds community uh and she just said no please don't put put me through that and i said okay we won't do it you know <clears throat> and then we show up for the parade and they've got a whole contingent of lds missionaries in the parade <laughs> And I was, and they had, and, and a booth at the festival. And I was just like, okay, that's it. I'm just doing this next year. I'm not going to ask their permission. Yeah. And so we just got done with it. And we paraded with an Oya, an Oshun, and an Ogun, big costumes, big hoop skirts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just beautiful, wonderful. And actually nobody took any issue with it. People were really curious. I, I actually feel like we um, educated a lot of people about that side of the culture that day. And, you know, I just feel adamantly that like, you can't just, you can't have a Brazilian festival and like right. leave the Africa part out. Um, that's basically racism. Well, so, and it happens all the time. It's like, it's always the African side of things that people want to kind of brush under the rug and uh so it was interesting because you know there's a lot of people from brazil there but didn't know who these characters were so we got to talk to some people about it and we even had one woman come up to us and say oh my religion you know this is <laughs> this is my religion so that was cool because you know we mostly feel like we're surrounded by lds culture and um I, I thought it was very well received, even though it was kind of like guerrilla style. We just mm -hmm. did it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and spreading Orisha culture is a big part of what uh, 
I mean, I guess we're stating this here because this is a weird, obscure podcast, and you wouldn't find you wouldn't listen to this forty minutes in unless you cared about this music and <laughs> right. where it's from. Um, <laughs> but when we go to schools and teach kids to dance for Shango and Ogun and Oya and Oshun, we are planting seeds with these kids uh, to to help them understand this beautiful culture and this beautiful folklore. And if you look at it that much, and you learn a couple of legends and a cool dance and a song or two, it's probably going to enrich your life. And if you become aware of it and then you learn some more stuff, it's going to enrich your life further. And I think that uh, it was very intentional the way Europeans snuffed out this stuff in America. And it survives better in Brazil and Cuba. But I think that it needs to be reintroduced so that, so that you know, European descendants have an idea about the actual impact of slavery and how this beautiful culture that did exist in Africa was picked apart and destroyed and the little remnant fragments that, that took hold somewhere have evolved into some of the most precious, beautiful things on the planet and that that culture needs to be expressed and preserved and shared and that's, that's a big part of what we do. And well, and we're surrounded by dance culture, but not uh, cultural dance culture. We're surrounded by European dance culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of the programs that are in the schools around here are um, creative dance or modern dance or ballet. And all the little boys are just like, this hey. sucks. <laughs> I'm sick of twirling, you know, like... And then we come in and we're like, okay, you've got a sword in one hand and a shield in the other, and you're going <laughs> to slice your way through the classroom, and, and then you're going to dance with fire, and then you're going to get your bow and arrow out. And it just is like, it's instinctual, they love it, it makes sense to them, and they, they, they grab onto it in, in a really cool way that just makes you go like, well, how could I not teach this and like think that this is like a powerful thing to uh, share with people, you know? Especially, I think, for young boys, dancing, the dances are really um, a cool thing that they don't, and for young women, like, I relished in the opportunity to uh, dance strong after a lifetime of being asked to dance pretty. Mm. Here I am, like, no, like, be vicious, you know, and I loved it, so. Uh, well, let's, let's not, let's not ditch that. I mean, I... I think that the the interesting thing about art and artists is that as you perform or do a certain artistic thing, it has an impact on you as an artist. And I think that when Lauren started doing Arisha Dance specifically, her character evolved to a higher level where she was able to articulate certain things and to feel certain emotions and to express herself in certain ways that were unavailable to her because of the cultural constraints that had been placed upon her and her, and for around here her parents were as you know liberal and and thoughtful as they get about trying to not do that kind of crap um but still her her ability to be the the fierce leader of this organization was awakened through orisha dance and mm -hmm. that's what she shares with people when she goes out and does it and that's why she does it so beautifully and powerfully and why her students are as dedicated and invested and gorgeous as they are um so that's that's a pretty cool thing and i think that it uh definitely caused me to go further down the rabbit hole because i thought bata drumming was interesting and i found this condom stuff and i'm like well it's kind of cool but it's not as cool as bata and then i get 
further into it, and now I'm definitely more of a Condomble guy than a Bata guy these days. But I love them both, and uh, I think that they've really enriched my life and taught me a lot about how the world actually is and how a lot of the religions in the world are about controlling people and holding things and taking things and obscuring the truth. And Orisha culture just isn't about any of that crap. It's about enlightening people and having them have a better understanding of nature and be closer to nature and closer to understanding how they are parts of complex systems and that that's a beautiful thing mm. and that it's okay to be angry and it's okay to be sad and it's okay to be confused and that's the kind of things that uh you know you just don't really get from the judeo-christian islam tradition uh and i think that that's also part of why the the uh the Arisha tradition is not necessarily outwardly violent, so it's easy for these other cultures that are are willing to to oppress people and to be violent and to, to deem themselves superior to trample on that because they don't put up resistance. It's the same thing that happened to the Native Americans. Um, but some of us uh, are are pushing back a little bit by singing these songs and dancing these dances and and sharing these stories so that this culture can uh, continue to exist. Yeah, um, I, I think I really like found my power through this, this tradition, through Samba too, through Samba and, and studying Orisha dance and music. Uh, I was really shy before all of this. Like I was super shy, super inhibited. Hmm. Um, I, I got out of college, honestly, with a really low self-esteem because of all that comparing that I talked about earlier. Just, you know, that dance culture beat my self-esteem down into the ground. And then uh, Brazilian dance culture uh, really helped me find my strength and my power and um, my confidence to... And then I was basically like forced into leadership positions within the group. I, I didn't want to teach. I didn't, you know, I didn't uh, plan any of this. <laughs> it was just like this guy handed us this band and somebody had to yeah. kind of step it up and make but it happen it, if it was going to happen at all. So, In all honesty, I've watched Lauren for a couple of decades now and she's always been a natural leader. And even though... Okay. Okay. Cut me <laughs> Enough. Um, well, but when when the opportunity arose and the need was there and it was something that was meaningful to her, it it was obvious that she uh, took took that challenge on, and, and here we are. So, Lauren, when you were learning um, Brazilian dance and learning samba and these Orisha dances, who were your teachers? Was it um, did you guys bring teachers, dance teachers, in, or is there someone there in Salt Lake? Oh, no, there's nothing here. <laughs> um, it was that kind of a choice of like, okay, well, I I mean, for us, it all comes from Brazil camp, really. Uh -huh. And and we would go to camp, and then we would come home, and it was just like, well, are we going to wait another 11 months to, to do this again? Or are we going to make Samba happen where we live? So. Uh -huh. You know, to us, it wasn't yeah. much of a choice. We were just like, we can't really live without this. So, um, but it does really all stem from Brazil camp. So every, pretty much every teacher that we've ever brought here, we met at Brazil camp. Um, is that true? Uh, rounded up to true. Yeah. So. <laughs> rounded up. 
Um, and I mean, over 16 years, 17 years of Brazil camp, six classes a day. I mean, when, when yeah, we yeah. stop and write down all those teachers, it's like mm-hmm. such a wealth of yeah. incredible. Yeah. When I, when I look at Lauren's pile of wristbands, cause she has every <laughs> wristband and you think that each one of these is a week long experience that was this powerful and this incredible. And that doesn't even count when they made us tie that stuff onto our wrists. And when oh, we that's had right. Before mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So it's really, um, so we, when I talked about my musical lineage, I kind of stopped when we got to Samba, but the next piece in that puzzle is Rich and Dennis. Like the fact that they created this thing that allows for such an incredible cultural immersion experience that is also so pleasant. Like the, the setting is so good and the people are so friendly and the food is great and the class structure is nice and the teachers are all selected to be capable of pushing you but kind to foreigners. And it, it just, uh, it's been incredible what they have, have provided for, not, not just for me, but Austin Samba, Lions of Batucada. I mean, every group that doesn't, sound awful in this country the roots go back to california brazil camp in some way so i i owe rich and dennis more than i can express in gratitude and i and i say it to him every year thank you so much for doing this and they're like oh you're always so friendly and i'm like well you realize i go home and this is like my job and i get to to have this beautiful culture as a part of of my life and to share it with people it's just it's incredible we feel really lucky I'm like, we could do the list, you know, Mark Lampson, Georgie Alabay, but where do we stop? Because it's, it's a really long list of people that have been really, really generous and have, have come to my tent and helped me and talked to me and have given me guidance and have become, you know, personal, long, lifelong friends and mentors. It, it just, uh, I don't know, man, you don't get that at summer camp usually. So that's also why over the years we've brought so many people is because here we don't have anything, you know, it's for us, it's all about traveling outside of Utah to get the information, you know, Mm -hmm. to study. So, um, and Mason and I, well, Mason and I went to Brazil in 2005 and then I went to Los Angeles intensive in 2009. So we've been to Brazil a couple of times, but mostly we've been to brazil camp so <laughs> and truthfully as an educational experience uh brazil is a culturally enlightening experience but if you just want to learn music you know there's a lot less sitting in traffic and dealing with nonsense uh at, at brazil camp than there is in actual brazil it's Although, just such a good curriculum that's all laid yeah. out for you and you don't even have to leave to go eat and know? so diverse yeah Exactly. And constantly changing, and and there is something to be learned by sitting in traffic in in Sao Paulo. That's a thing too. But uh, well, but they just they they offer so much. And if I can bring one of my drummers, one of my guys, one of my girls, and Lauren can bring one of her dancers, and they are offered thirty classes, and they take twenty two or twenty three or twenty four of them, they come back just changed and reinvigorated and ready to inspire the people around them, and just it's beautiful really really beautiful to go to the redwoods to to be recharged and refreshed and challenged so thanks yeah. rich thanks dennis <laughs> love you guys if thanks camp listening. friends i look forward to see you there <laughs> yeah i have a little 
like a boring question. Well, I'm just curious, like, so you're a nonprofit and then um, you guys make money from your gigs and then um, does that go to pay for practice space? Do the members get paid? And you guys, obviously, that's how you're making at least part of your living. Yeah. Um, so at this point, about a third of our revenue comes from grant writing and funding. Mm -hmm. A third of it comes from gigging and performing and a, about a third of it comes from educational stuff so uh providing classes to schools gotcha so um yeah it's yeah um, you're busy yeah we That's yeah we are it is and uh because we're the only samba band in town or really cultural arts thing in town uh, we we kind of get bombarded with opportunities right. these days. Right. After, wow. You know, I mean, it's been a long time since we've been working and building the name, and so by by now we're getting a lot of cool opportunities. We've we opened for Sean Kuti the other night. That was, that was cool. Awesome. Um, <laughs> nice. Yeah. But so the the official exchange is you know if you as a drummer or dancer will commit to this whatever five hours a week and and try to come to some of the gigs, then basically I will teach you for free if you will perform for me for free and show up. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And and then beyond that, there's special little weird things where if it's like a, a whole day gig and it's a bunch of rigmarole and we are getting paid for that, then I will dole out a bit of money. But um, for the most part, our people don't really expect to be paid, which is, is a cool thing. You know, everyone's really in it for the love. And we talk mm -hmm. about that. We talk about how like, you know, if it doesn't seem like this equation works out to you, then we welcome you to not engage in it. Um, but because it works for a lot of really wonderful people. So, um, yeah, officially there's no money exchange. They don't pay tuition and we don't pay them to perform, but then there's special yeah. occasions where we break that rule. So. And then if right, I need right. a viola player or whatever, yeah. then we have to kick her a little bit of dough, but you know, she's worth... Ten times what we pay her. We're paying her gas money, essentially. And uh, throughout the years, we've accumulated this set of musicians that is willing to, to work for, for virtually free. Because, because we're fun. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, it's a great, I mean, you Your get to average... be in this really cool show, and, like, the parts are really cool, and the musical there's director's fire. a jerk, and he throws <laughs> tomatoes. Yeah, there's fire. Uh, yeah, so most of, I mean, a lot of our money, if we make money from a gig, that's just a bunch of drummers and dancers that aren't getting paid. That money's going toward rent and then hiring professional musicians or teachers. Or so paying the admin assistant. Guest artists. Um, bringing in guest artists or paying Lauren and my meager salaries. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it's, um, it's very much like a collective thing and everyone mm -hmm. is on the same page about that on the front end so that you don't get out of a gig and go like, oh, I thought I was getting paid for this, you know? No. <laughs> right. right. Kind of on the same tip, um, so do you have a practice space that's yours? And how do you, is, does that that funding come just out of your general uh -huh. band? Yeah, band? so it comes from a mix of all three of those mm -hmm. things. Yeah, so funding and gigging and and teaching and then um yeah it's a cool space we 
uh, we're right downtown. We um, got into this building uh, where we had to knock out a bunch of cubicles and put a new floor in and raise the ceiling and voila, made a dance studio. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. uh, like when we moved in there, we were all just like, because we had gotten kicked out of our old space. Um, it had gotten sold to like a mattress factory or whatever. The lease, they just turned around and after eight years they were like you guys need to be out in three months or something and so it's actually we're part of this um kind of collective it's called the utah arts alliance and uh so we all moved together to this new place um the building is owned by the city so they subsidize our rent a bit and um yeah we all thought we were screwed but we had to just Not kind of me. revamp the building a bit. <laughs> and so now we've got storage space there and we've got a dance studio there. Awesome. And, um, and we can make a lot of noise there, which has also been an issue, yeah. of course. Yeah. So in the old space, we're really lucky. The Arts Alliance was a very small entity and the guy that was running it like wasn't really doing it full time. And when we moved from, you know, it was pretty much us and a copperware group and then like a couple of guitar teachers and a painter in, you know, this funky warehouse. So then we got this big building that the city was stuck with in a part of town where they needed people to be there so it wasn't just a bunch of homeless folks. So he, he really like, you know, brought that building to a to a nice level and made a nice It's nice a cool little arts collective. There's all sorts of stuff going on in, in our building that, you know, we can there's like a B boy group and a Capoeira group and oh, cool. Yeah. So it's uh got some good networking opportunities, mm-hmm. but yeah, we pay um, a good chunk of money to be there, a monthly rate. and uh, But uh, we're lucky to have that space, for sure. It's nice you have storage. Yeah. Yes. Huge. It's right <laughs> off the dance floor. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And on, drum lessons there and everything. Do you guys also provide starter drums and such for your newer members or does everybody kind of come equipped we own pretty much all the gear nobody mm-hmm. owns their own equipment oh, yeah. really? it's wow. all we we own everything yeah there's a you know rounded up to that okay yeah every once in a while people will get inspired and buy their own drum to practice on or something but we even loan out our drums to people to practice on throughout the week and yeah um yeah we've just we have a pretty good arsenal of drums so um it's it, that works well for us well and it makes it uh like it, you'll hear i'm sure you've heard this from other you know bateria directors that the, these these three jerks decided they're going to take this gig and they're going to low money us and take you know steal our gig and work for half of what we should charge and all that stuff and i think because of our system the way that we train people it's like look i'm teaching you and you're playing for me by the time someone's like well i have a kid or i'm too busy or i'm going to move on there's a relationship there where they wouldn't go out and do that so we're able to be in this pond that is big enough that there are corporations coming through that have conventions and some gigs that are pretty good sometimes and uh but also small enough that we can uh you know keep control of of the scene so that so that musicians get paid as much as possible and uh and that we've been one group for years yeah we've never we don't we've never really had another samba band start in our city which is hmm. i think a unique situation yeah, is, for 20 yeah. years that's a long yeah. time yeah yeah but it, i think it's part of that like we're building loyalty with people you know you're also sounds like you've i mean you have such a history and you have such a visual component 
it would be hard to uh, compete with that right. if yeah. you're just starting out. Yeah, totally. And I work my butt off. So if you think you're going to work harder than me, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's directing a samba band does not pay well. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah but yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, unless we're ca- unless we're going to go beyond currency and think about what it does for us emotionally and, right. and how we're, I mean, you you can do a lot of things in exchange for money and be very sad inside. You know, a lot of people make a lot of money who are not happy. Well, and I think that's one of our biggest strengths, honestly, is that we are a drum group and a dance company under the same roof and under the same name and directorship. Um, when I look around the U.S. these days, I I think that's kind of a unique model because I see pasista groups who use recorded music or I see baterias, you know, and Austin, Austin is, is uh, like us, that everything is under the same name and one organization. But I just, I don't know that I could have it any other way because for me, um, well, I like to do both, you know, I like to drum and dance and I, we encourage all our members to do both, but also it's just like, I don't know, it just wouldn't be as cool. Yeah. (laughs) And when, uh, when Lauren told me we were doing the podcast, uh, I was like, oh, I wonder what we're going to talk about. And one of the things that I, uh, sort of thought about and, you know, meditated on, I guess you could say, uh, is why does this work and why, like, what would I want to share with you know, everyone comes on this podcast and shares these great stories about the school in New York where these kids play drums or Ielton growing up and like Carl talking about how, you know, it, it's so many cool things. And I thought, what 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 do we have that we could like share as insight? And what I came to was this, that we are unique because of Lauren's specific skill set. And I have worked with so many dance teachers over the years. I mean, most of them modern, some of them other styles. Um but I, I've, I have my 10,000 hours. I've built them accompanying dance classes. And so often the dance teacher comes over and yells like frustrated adjectives and ha- has no real clue about what it is that they mean or want. And it's hard because they want something very specific to make the energy of the dance class happen, but they don't have the means to communicate it or to express or to show you what they want. And Lauren is uniquely positioned because she will take your sticks and play for you what she wants and express to you in any terms necessary the energy and the quality that she wants. And she will do this with compassion, but also uh, a firmness. And this, this is why we are uniquely able to have such a powerful dance contingent. And the drummers are better because she is also their teacher. And I don't think that you can say that of a lot of people. And I, I, uh, I could show you the outline of some Arisha dances, but I can't do them like for real the way Lauren can play condom blade parts for real and I mean whom too so that's a a thing and I I think that Lauren is really amazing and I'm not just biased because I'm her husband but I think that the quality of our shows (laughs) is a reflection of her character and the depth that she is studying this material and and her care to get the people around her to, to play it and to dance it in that specific uh beautiful way so well i mean it's kind of like a a 
we laugh sometimes because there's this notorious like gap between the way a drummer communicates and the way a dancer communicates. Like we even count differently, you know, dancers count in eight and drummers count in four. And that causes mass confusion sometimes. <laughs> and if you can bridge that gap and know what, what this guy over here is talking about when he's saying, no, it's the E of two, it's not the and of two. And if you can say that to the to your drum students as well and communicate in, on that level, you know, specifically, instead of the joke is, you know, like the dance teacher will walk up and they'll say, oh, I'm just not feeling the energy, you know, it needs more energy or it, uh, floatier or more intense or whatever and they'll mean i need the tempo to come up or i you know whatever it or is i need can... the volume to come up or you're playing the wrong rhythm <laughs> it, it can mean all kinds of stuff that that uh it's up to the, to the musician the lead musician to interpret that and then to make the correct decision and well and i've been in classes where like my dance teacher just lays on the floor because she's so frustrated with her drummer like that's, I've seen stuff like that around here in like West African dance classes, um, or it just, that seemed to be part of the thing when I was first taking class, this um, tension between the dance teacher and the drummer always seemed to be this thing, you know, and, and, and kind of a lack of communication. So yeah, I do think that's one of our strong strengths, yeah. strong strengths. I have a question for you guys. So you have been at this a lot longer than um, a lot of people, you know, in kind of this age group. Mm -hmm. And you guys have dealt with a lot of people. You've dealt with a lot of different situations. And I'm just curious. It sounds like you guys have a strong ethos that you bring to your group and talk to your people about. But how do you deal with conflict within the group? Because, you know, you have dancers, you have drummers, you have... People yeah. falling in love, people breaking oh, up, God. like, you know, yeah, I mean, that happened. kind of thing, but also just general <laughs> conflict. You know, you have competitive people and yeah. you've got the whole, I'm sure you guys have seen it all. Like, do you have any um, advice for other people who are, you know, running groups, maybe just getting started or, you know, um, in dealing with conflict? For is, sure. Is My... there anything else you could do besides run a Samba group? <laughs> no. if you can think of anything else, it might be fun. Might I would recommend that plan. would be a better idea. No. Uh, no, my big thing um, is direct communication. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's bothering you or you get a weird look across the drum, uh, across the circle, not a drum circle. I'm not going to say drum circle. Um, <laughs> across the rehearsal. If, or, you know, if a, if a fellow drummer or dancer is giving you a weird vibe, um, I've had a lot of uh, experiences where we sit the, the two people down and just have a really frank and open conversation. Or I've um, had to have very direct, frank conversations with dancers or drummers uh, between myself and them uh, when I feel like their behavior is a little outside of the boundaries. Like um, I've definitely had like catty, competitive kind of mean spirited dancers come through a couple times and um i just had to uh, find it within myself to get really freaking direct and just call people on their bullshit and to 
It's amazingly um, effective to throw the mirror up on someone because if, if you say like, look, you're behaving this way and that's impacting everybody. So you can either not do that or you can not do this. Because people will say stuff like, oh, I, I, I didn't know you could tell I was upset today. It's like, no, everyone in this whole room can feel yeah. that you're upset This was right awesome now. until you walked in. It was great. You walked in all humpy and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and I, I do. I think, you know, we've seen all sorts of weird group, you know, uh, one person can come in and absolutely change the group dynamic. Mm -hmm. And yes. so if you state your, your desired group dynamic very clearly, and then when somebody... Uh, crosses your boundary and you can <laughs> kind of put your big girl pants on and and call them on that um i've found that that has been extremely effective yeah. for us instead of just letting things things like fester um just just having really you know we're adults let's use our words and mm -hmm. And also, not everyone gets along all the time. Not everybody works out. And if, if you uh, have run the group as long as we have, we have an understanding that, like, we're not all going to each other's funerals. Like, it's not like this is a lifelong commitment that we're making to play together and to be together. I mean, some of us are. Some of us, I, there's a dozen people in this band that are going to be with us till the bitter end. And... There will be more as it grows, but I think the problem with small with with you said how would you what would you, what advice would I give to smaller groups? And I made a joke, but it kind of was serious. Or like younger groups, like people who don't have as much experience. Yeah. Well, you know, so here, here's what will happen eventually. Eventually, your group will get to be seven or eight or nine people, and it will be kind of stable. And the musicianship level will get to an adequate level where you're actually kind of getting work and stuff. And then eventually, two or three of those seven to nine people will get it in their head that the thing is not being run correctly. So instead of having some sort of diplomatic discussion wherein those people are asked to leave and the organization knows that it's going to be okay without them, because when you're young and there's seven of you and two of the two best drummers get mm -hmm. pissed because they're not making enough money and they quit, or like the lead drummer and the lead dancer break up, so then the dancer goes and starts a group with two of the drummers and now they're not allowed to work with the group ever again. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that just... It happens, and yep. the bigger the thing gets, you know, the more possible it is that one of your dancers is going to go, but we just sold out that big 500-seat theater. How come we aren't getting paid more? And it's like, dude, we lost our shirts on that. Like, we we worked our ass off all year playing other gigs and writing grants to make that possible for us to all have that experience. What What's wrong with you? I mean, look at the books. You know, so then she gets in the air of one of the drummers, and it... it that kind of stuff we've definitely we've been done through that, you know, that we've done that yeah. and now that we have done it we see it coming and we head it off yeah. and and we also are selective about the people that we work with because this does not pay enough to be a shitty gig like, yeah, I, I will i will if, if a gig is awful <laughs> and it pays half a million dollars a year if you said mason i want you to go be the drummer on the weezer cruise for a whole year and it's going to pay half a million dollars i would say okay i mean that might not be my favorite thing in the world to do but i would do it um but this is not that this is something where we're trying to share something that's meaningful to us with the community which is underserved in terms of cultural things and things that come from africa and african ideas this has to be fun and it has to be meaningful and it has to to work for the people involved 
and that, that if us that included. means us <laughs> first and foremost because if it's not working and that's a good life lesson i mean if it's not working for you it's not working for the people around you and that's why some of these people are like well i, I feel like I, I feel like we play the same things every week so i'm not really learning drums at this class it's like dude it's not a class you're in a band you're learning a lot if you pay attention but if that's your attitude you're not going to learn anything and you're going to sour the experience for everybody else so just go somewhere else but we like we sit down and talk a lot mm -hmm. about is there value here how do you guys perceive this value what does it bring into your lives how's hmm. it working for you and then you know then our members will do the talking for us people will say you know I used to golf and I spent hundreds of dollars on my golf hobby and I spend a lot less on my Samba hobby, you know, and, um, or, you know, just they'll, they'll, um, express how they're, um, perceiving the value, which is really big for, for a lot of our, our people. So then they'll basically explain it to the person in the room who's not quite getting the exchange, the, the energy exchange so yeah yeah but i think i think it's all about talking communicating with each other and at the end of somebody not working out like everybody knows like if we're going to go back to basketball like if, if one of the if jerry sloan had a player in the starting lineup that was like not having just having problems and scuffling by the time jerry took him out of the starting lineup and put someone else in that player was knew it was messed up and they were ready to go you know so like when someone has a bad attitude or a problem or is not meshing with the culture of the group they usually leave before yeah. we... like by the time we're like, you know, you shouldn't say that or you shouldn't act like this. And the fourth or fifth time you say that, they're like, yeah, you know, I could do something else on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone else is like, what happened to person X? And we say, yeah, I don't know. And they're like, well, okay, good. <laughs> so it, it, you have to get it to a point where it becomes socially inert. Like there is a, an inertia to the social culture where certain things are expected, certain things aren't tolerated. Everyone who is there really loves being there and wants to protect the character of the culture and wants every rehearsal to be joyous and every gig to be successful and every barbecue to be a really good hang with everyone's best friends, you know. And that, that means a lot. You know, that, that means a lot more than a big paycheck. It to, motivates people to go see their friends and play drums with their friends. Like if everyone is friends and if everyone is good, you know, yeah. we always talk about like the better we get, the more fun that, then we'll, right. that we'll have playing, you know, with each other. So, yeah. Nice. So it seems this group has been, been bringing you guys a lot of happiness and joy, but do you guys have a happiest moment um, from performing, teaching, Taking classes. That's hard. Each. You can each have one. I'll, I'll let you do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I anticipated this question, so I practiced. Um, here's what it is for me. Uh, I really, really care about this stuff. And I teach people how to do things. And some of them stick with me for many, many years. And over the course of that time, they, they grow and they develop and they become so capable. So to watch the people around me succeed and to, to play and honor this music by playing it correctly and sharing it with people, for me, that's like the, the that's the cookie, you know, that's what, that's what makes me go when I'm tired and my hands hurt and I don't want to do this today. And I, I know that if I invest in them, 
the the potential and i you know i could list the guys but you know one one of the drummers in the band is like you know the closest thing i'll probably ever have to a son and to to see him grow into a young man and to flounder and to fail and to get back on track and to leave the group and to come back and to lead the group that that just is a it's really special to to know that i've had that impact on him culturally and that now he can have that impact on everybody else and that this chain will continue and that i am merely a link in this precious knowledge and that i am capable of generating the next link and making it a strong link that's to me that's the best part of this whole thing that's awesome yeah um i think for me it actually is something that happened pretty recent i'd have to say it uh was this summer at the utah arts fest uh being given that headlining opportunity and here's why so <laughs> the first couple years that uh we performed at the utah arts fest it was just me and mason so me spinning <laughs> fire and mason on drum set and the first two years, they booked me uh, about 60 feet from a fire performance group that had like 30 people in it. And they had big torches and all of the toys. And here's little old me kind of over in the gravel, literally dancing in the gravel, uh, 60 feet from this other fire performing group, just feeling like, I, I just felt so shafted and so little and small. And it, it's so hard because what Lauren does is to move fire in beautiful ways that few people on the planet can do, but then also to dance her body inside of that. That is art. Most people that are fire dancers are numbskulls that hold things that are on fire. We call them fire holders. Fire holders. <laughs> you know, they're basically they're basically candlesticks, and they go, "Ooh, I'm holding fire. Are I'm slowly moving the fire." And there's nothing um, like it, it's a look what I can do kind of thing. So that was the situation. You know, we felt like we were bringing artistry, and it was uh, being um, sort of outshined by this this kind of fire holding thing so and and that went on for years so then i thought you know i'm gonna i'm gonna make a group i'm a fire dancer i'm i'm part of this drum line and i want to make a group that does fire and capoeira and brazilian dance and brazilian drumming all in one group and part part of that was so that i would have some people with me so that i wasn't just a solo artist like trying to make it you know i was dancing at, i was fire dancing at birthday parties by myself and doing everything by myself um so and, and then we formed samba fogo and samba fogo performed at the utah arts fest for many years but they would always stick us down in this pit that had a brick bottom and then that brick bottom had this big metal drain that stick stuck up and uh, <laughs> like injured us. And then they'd like- Great for dancing. <laughs> great for dancing. And then they would like slap some linoleum over that and uh, try to call it good, try to call it a stage basically. And we, we would work with it. And you know, we were always just that like little side scrapping 
group that was working their asses off and not necessarily getting the recognition for it, you know? I think that many artists feel that, just like you work so hard and um, it just comes so slowly. The, the success comes so slowly mm. and you work so hard for it. So now this summer we were on a big old proper stage on Friday night. We performed for a crowd of like 3,500 people and everybody saw it and it was I think we had the biggest audience of the whole festival and it was just like you know for a little girl from Utah (laughs) like having Mm -hmm. worked this festival and worked my ass off to do it um, finally here's our our cool opportunity and it just kind of feels like um, now more people know us and we're we're getting more recognition and more opportunities. And we're, I feel like we're no longer that little guy, you know? It's like now we're kind of perceived as the bigger guy, but and that has its own set of weirdnesses. But um, it's, it's different, you know? And I, I come from this place where I've really had to struggle and struggle and struggle to get here. So it feels good. But to go, to go through that, I think, has been... You know, to be down in that little 300-seat hole and to have people show up hours and hours early and to get in fights over seats and have the police have to make a walkway so people wouldn't just stand there and, and junk up the whole festival. To, to force the issue, to force our way out of that hole yeah, with the quality of what we're doing, with the, with the uh, you know, with, 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 by doing something that's really meaningful, that, that has a, a visceral impact on the audience, that is deeper, that is cultural. Like, it, it just... Uh, it's good to have them go, hey, this is the best thing happening. What if we put it on a stage where people can see it? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then everyone comes and, you know, we draw as many or more people than the touring acts that they've also brought in from out of town and spent, you know, probably more than they gave us, honestly. Uh, but it's... Yeah, uh, I mean, Pedrito Martinez <laughs> was on that same stage two nights later. <laughs> they booked him on the Sunday night. And we went to the show, of course. Of course. And there were... There were maybe 200 people Oh, my there. goodness. I couldn't believe it. And I was like, dude, you guys, these guys just played at the Kennedy Center. <laughs> like, you, what are we doing here? Nobody came out for it. So yeah, um, it He was, was really good, though. Um, yeah, so yeah. I guess, like, <laughs> yeah, he's amazing. He was a, a really incredible thing. And, uh, but, yeah, it's, it's nice to be but, featured on stages like that. And I think part of it is just keep working at it, you know? Like, God, it, it can get so discouraging and you can feel so small and it can feel so impossible. And that's why nobody does this, right? That's like, that's why we are all unique people in that we are so passionate about Samba that uh, it motivates us to get up every day and work on that and, and to, to help to share it, you know. But um, it is a struggle. It does not just happen overnight. <laughs> like... Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but keep working. Yeah, and uh, yeah. support is create. Support is critical. It's key. Support is very important. And uh, the and way that, the way that Lauren and I can support each other as artistic partners, and and to have the social to be you know to also be able to call each other on stuff and to be able to you know criticize and do it lovingly and mm-hmm. also fiercely when necessary and it just has made us grow a lot. Yeah. So it's been helpful to have that dynamic. That, and I think also about how um, 
Mason and I love each other very much. And <laughs> that is sort of the core of our group. That's where we're coming from. And, and really what we're sharing with people, it's, it's something that comes from love and it's about love. And uh, we, we really see that paying us back um, because that's I, our main impetus. Yeah, when I make a, a serious mistake in rehearsal, Lauren can yell at me and everyone in the room can watch Lauren yell at me and I go, you're right, okay, and then we move forward. And that sets a tone for everyone else because if, if when I make a mistake, I can be humble and Lauren can correct me or vice versa, which is a much more rare occasion, but... Uh, that sets the vibe for everyone else in the group that you know we're going to do this out of from a place of the pro the quality of the product is the most important thing because that's what creates satisfaction for everyone in the room and the audience and that if we work together and play together in a way that is harmonious then everything's going to be great and if it sucks then we should should be talking about it and maybe sternly and mm -hmm. fixing it because yeah. it's important and if it's not important then get out don't you know don't show up at <laughs> rehearsal if you don't care so, yeah Sweet. Love it. <laughs> well, thanks, you guys, for coming on. We really Gavarin appreciate it. for two hours almost. Oh, dude, we missed the best <laughs> question. The best question was memorable and terrible gigs. No, we did it. We did this body. No, you already, stuff. yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the bride stuff. who got mad? <laughs> Bridezilla? Yeah. That's, well, uh, so if you want to spend two minutes, we could go down this list right okay. here. Oh, you have a list. Okay, okay. do it. Oh, yeah, we do. So here, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll interview each other. Uh, tell me about... Fire curtain. Okay. Me? I go? We go. went on a little tour to Idaho Falls, and I was fire dancing on stage, and the crew decided that the piece was over, and they closed mm. the curtain on me, and the curtain caught oh, on fire no. a little bit. <laughs> because when you're spinning fire, you can't see. I could not see the curtain. I just hit the curtain. So, yeah, that was fun. Oh, wow. So I had to go, like... Had it out with my hand. It could have been that. <laughs> Tell uh, me about uh, working with Ray uh, Salt Lake. Okay, I'll do the sports oh. teams. So for five or six years, I can't remember, we played for Real Salt Lake, and the way the gig worked, an hour before tip, you know, kickoff, we'd show up, and it was Carnival Real. So we would play in the sun for an hour for nobody. <laughs> And then we would do a parade around the stadium to signal that it was time to head to your seats from the carnival. Uh, and we would get, like, you know, stared at and jeers and cheers. And then we would go to this special end zone section that was just for us. And we would play through the duration of the entire game, except for halftime, making it a four-and-a-half-hour gig where you played for almost three hours of real time. And it was the most grueling, character-building, terrible, wonderful thing that could have happened yeah. and we lost a lot of people over it because it wore them out every game every home game for five years so 17 games a wow. season rain or shine hail it was snow and just keep blistering playing. sun just keep playing well, and and <laughs> yeah so that was a thing um but it we, also... we would have people like throw stuff at us like you're too loud <laughs> like... <laughs> but it also helped establish our credibility as professionals and our 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 talent as musicians and then also gave us finances to scholarship people to California Brazil camp which was very important in the early days of the organization so that went on for a while and then uh, we moved on from that we had played at the Winter Olympics that was really great in 2002 yeah that was super memorable yeah we played at the Athletes Village and then that uh, we played on like the finish line of a downhill yeah, race downhill 
Yeah. It was cold. So that was great. Um, yeah. Playing at halftime at the Utah Jazz was awesome. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, go yeah. Jazz, go. Hopefully they have us back sometime. Um, yeah. Oh, so, yeah, it's been good adventures. Yep, good times in Brazil land. Oh, oh do you have any Do you have any shout-outs also or upcoming gigs you'd like to promote? Oh. Well, um, I'm getting my brave self on, and I'm flying to Phoenix this weekend <gasps> oh, to... Oh, Samba Queen. Uh, compete in the national samba queen yeah, contest yeah and i haven't done a lot of competitions it's only my second dance contest and my first one was this year so uh it's a new uh journey for me so that'll be great fun. um i'm enjoying watching lauren get excited and nervous <laughs> about this well because in the samba queen contest we have here like she's samba empress and doesn't compete because it wouldn't be fair uh, so so I know, I've never competed. Yeah. Well, and it's just interesting to see her get all like shy and like, should I do this one or that one? And should I, which know, costume like, should I wear? To really analyze it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so that's going to be awesome. Um, but I would just say, uh, watch for our spring shows. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to bring out guest artists so you can, you know, if people are in uh, surrounding States, they can come out and catch a few, uh, classes with Rosangela or Mark Lamson or whoever we bring out, and then they can see our big um, annual showcase. And well, that's typically the second to last weekend in April. April, okay. yeah. Um, yeah. So that can that, be good for years around. on this audio recording. That we'll be <laughs> <up again>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and our listening recommendation would be the Brazilian Beat Podcast. Yay. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we love you guys. We really, I've really enjoyed listening to these, and I, I think it's a really cool thing. Right. Like, even if it's like just for us nerds <laughs> that like exactly. like to geek out on this stuff, it's just yeah. like it's such a treat because um, I've been playing music with Jimmy for years, and I didn't know half that stuff. You know, I really um, enjoyed listening to his and just everybody. It's like. You know these people, but you don't really get to talk right. deeply with them. So mm-hmm. it's really cool that you guys are doing that. Yeah, and this podcast oh, might not have the broadest reach, but I think it's very deep, and I think the people that it does reach, it impacts profoundly, and yeah. they listen to all two hours of each recording because it's uh, captivating and informative, and it's a yeah. great service you guys oh, are providing. Thanks. Yeah. Thank totally. you. And you throw good dance parties. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. <laughs> Where else do you get Mestri Jonas singing? <laughs> oh my God! Disco so tunes. Good. Shake your hamburger. So I think it was. Shake hamburger. Shake hamburger. That's what it was. Shake hamburger. <laughs> so good. Yay! Awesome. Well, we appreciate you guys coming on. You guys are uh, strong members of this community for us, and um, yeah, we appreciate your knowledge. You guys have a lot to share. Yeah, Thanks. well, it was our honor. Thank you. We yeah, we feel honored by the invitation and yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, keep it going. Keep it going. It's cool. Go Blazers. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. If you want to learn more about Samba Fogu, go to sambafogu.com s-a-m-b-a-f-o-g-o.com you can also find them on facebook and on our website we have links to some of their videos and 
they're I mean they're really professionally done. They're I would go check those out. The fire on the stage show that they talked about, the the nice production. So yeah, definitely check those out and see they're they're doing some things at a at a higher level than some of the rest of us. So go check it out and get inspired. Also, uh, Lauren has recently put together a press kit that is I think a really good idea for um, some of the groups out there to think about getting something like that together. I will put a link to that. And she wanted people to, I think she mentioned she wants people to be able to access that and get ideas. Yeah, to, yeah, to share it and just kind of get ideas about how to put one together for yourself. So we're going to put a link to that on um, on their page on our website. And I'm also going to put a link to it under the resources tab on our website. So we have a couple shout outs. Um, one, we would like to shout out um, our friend and photographer Eric Crawford from the East Coast, but originally from the West Coast. He does all the photos for California Brazil Camp. If you go to flickr.com, um, you can find his photos. If you want to see what camp is like, he posts all his photos there over the years and then other photos he does. Um, in general. So I would check out his photos on Flickr and Eric, you're always very gracious um, with uh, photos for our artists. Um, and you took some great photos of us too at camp. We appreciate that. We like those because our photos photos are always kind of goofy. <laughs> <laughs> He's also starting a podcast soon. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, he was inspired by ours. So um, kudos to you, Eric. We'd also like to give a shout out to our buddy Michael Spiro, who has a new um, album out. It's called Bakini in El Nuevo Mundo. So he made this CD with many of his students from the World Percussion Program at IU, as well as other artists that he works with here and there. And also included in that list is um, our friend Scott Kettner, who does a, a section with, with um with Spyro as well as some singers that have worked with Maracatoon New York. So check that new release out. Once again, it's Bakini in El Nuevo Mundo. It's on CD Baby and wherever else you can get music online. Hey, Courtney. Hey, what? Have we gotten any uh, five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts yet? I don't think so, do we? I haven't looked. <laughs> Maybe we need to give a sticker to away to the first or the second person who... <laughs> <laughs> who rates us we have we have a box full of stickers if you rate us for the month of what is this this is october, october. 2017 we will send you a sticker we'll put those in the mail and send them to you <laughs> so please rate us on apple podcasts if you'd like to learn more about us you can find us at www.thebrazilianbeat.com if you have any suggestions or anything you'd like to discuss uh, guest suggestions or anything uh, thebrazilianbeat at gmail.com is our email address we are twitterfied uh, <laughs> at brazilianbeat1 that's the number one we're on facebook the brazilian beat podcast instagram the brazilian beat and you can find us on several different podcast players apple podcast stitcher Pocket Cast, Google Play, Player FM, and then um, you can also stream our audio through our website at thebrazilianbeat.com. We'd love to have um, listener mail and answer some questions, so why don't you guys send some questions to us? Ooh, we'll questions. We'll answer your questions, as long as they're not too personal, <laughs> <laughs> during our next episode. 
All right. Thanks for listening.